ಓಂ ಶ್ರೀ ಗುರುಭ್ಯೋ ನಮಃ ಹರಿ ಓಂ ಶ್ರೀಮದ್ ಭಗವದ್ಗೀತಾ ತಾತ್ಪರ್ಯ ಚಾಪ್ಟರ್ ವೈಸ್ ಸಮರಿ ಆಫ್ ದ ಡಿವೈನ್ ಸಾಂಗ್ ಬೈ ಸ್ವಾಮಿ ಪರಮಾರ್ಥಾನಂದ ಸರಸ್ವತಿ ಚಾಪ್ಟರ್ ಒನ್ ಅರ್ಜುನ ವಿಷಾದ ಯೋಗ ದ ಸೆಟಪ್ ಇನ್ ವಿಚ್ ದ ಗೀತಾ ಟೀಚಿಂಗ್ ಇಸ್ ಇಂಪಾರ್ಟೆಂಟ್ ಇಸ್ ದಿ ಎಪಿಕ್ ಬ್ಯಾಟಲ್ ಆಫ್ ಮಹಾಭಾರತ ಫಾಟ್ ಬಿಟ್ವೀನ್ ದ ಪಾಂಡವಾಸ್ ಆ್ಯಂಡ್ ಕೌರವಾಸ್ ಅರ್ಜುನ ದ ಪಾಂಡವ discovers the problem of samsara in the battlefield he surrenders to lord krishna seeking a solution then follows the great teaching if one should get the gita wisdom one should go through some important phases in life firstly one should discover the problem of samsara for which gita happens to be the solution unless one discovers the disease one will not seek medicine secondly one should become possessed by a sincere longing tivra moksha for freedom from samsara this alone can lead to committed and fruitful pursuit thirdly one should realize that one cannot solve this problem independently the maximum that one can do as a limited human being is a rearrangement or a reshapement of the problem finally one should surrender to a guru seeking his guidance when one discovers the sishya in one and surrenders to a guru the ground is prepared for the gita teaching to take place the entire first chapter and the first part of the second chapter are devoted to show these developments the problem of samsara as shown in the first chapter can be said to be the problem of attachment kripaha or ragaha grief shokaha or vishadaha and delusion mohaha when one is not happy with oneself one has to seek external aids this leads to dependence and attachment since the conditions of the dependent factors are unpredictable the very peace of mind of that person is in trouble a disturbed mind can make only faulty judgments complicating the matters further thus a vicious cycle is created this in short is the problem of samsara coming to the text we find in the first 20 verses a vivid description of the armies arrayed for the battle after a brief instruction of duryodhana to his commanders bhishma lord krishna and arjuna and others blow their conches signaling the commencement of the battle at this fateful moment arjuna commands lord krishna his charioteer to place the chariot in the middle of the army to scrutinize the enemy forces the mischievous lord brings the chariot in front of bhishma and drona and asks asks arjuna to survey the army till now arjuna was convinced that his cousins are unrighteous and he as a kshatriya has to fight the battle to establish righteousness in a moment of weakness arjuna slips down from reason to relation instead of seeing the violators of dharma he sees his beloved kith and kin naturally arjuna is overpowered by attachment then follow the twin offshoots of attachment that is grief and delusion in the next five verses we see arjuna expressing his intense grief which shakes him completely this indicates the extent of his attachment veiled by attachment his discriminative power becomes inoperative and he commits a series of false judgments interestingly enough arjuna even quotes the scriptures to support his unreasonable stand thus arjuna gets caught up in delusion which is depicted from the 36th verse up to the end of the chapter in this way arjuna finds himself in the deep sea of attachment sorrow and delusion ragaha shokaha 
Mohaha. Arjuna sincerely wants to get out of this problem. He thinks that solution is to drop the battle. But one corner of his mind is not convinced by this. At the same time, he has not realized that the problem is too deep for him to solve independently. Hence, he doesn't surrender to Krishna either. Thus, caught up in a dilemma, Arjuna sits back on his chariot sorrowfully. Since Arjuna's grief is the main topic, this chapter is aptly called Arjuna Vishada Yoga. The main topics of this chapter are Description of the armies and the preparations, shlokas 1 to 20. Arjuna's chariot being placed in the middle of the armies on his request, shlokas 21 to 25. Arjuna's change of mind leading to attachment, raga, shlokas 26 to 28. Arjuna's grief, shoka, shloka 25 to 34. And Arjuna's delusion, Moha, Shlokas 35 to 37. Hariyom Tatsat. Om Sri Guru Bhyo Namaha Harihi Om Sri Mad Bhagavad Gita Tatparyam, a chapter wise summary of the divine song by Swami Paramarthananda Saraswati. Chapter 2 Sankhya Yoga. In the first chapter, Arjuna was shown to be completely immersed in grief, shoka, caused by attachment, raga, and delusion, moha. Independently analyzing the problem, he comes to the conclusion that withdrawing from the war is the only solution. In the beginning of the second chapter, we see the turning point in Arjuna. Chastised by Krishna, Arjuna analyzes the situation further. This leads to the two important discoveries. One, his weakness of attachment is a fundamental problem which cannot be solved by superficial methods. Two, he has to surrender completely to a guru to get out of this fundamental problem. Thus, Arjuna becomes a Sishya by surrendering to Lord Krishna. Naturally, Krishna also becomes a guru. Now that the Guru-Sishya Guru relationship has been struck, the teaching can begin. Once a human being discovers a seeker in him, the Guru will be right in front. The Vedantic teaching can take place only between a Guru and a Sishya. Krishna straightaway attacks Arjuna's idea that war is going to harm Bhishma or himself. He points out that all the problems of Arjuna are because of delusion caused by ignorance. For wise men never have a problem. Thereafter, Krishna gives different reasons to establish that Arjuna has to fight the war. From the standpoint of true nature of Atma, Adhyatmika Drishti, Bhishma and others are immortal. Atma is never subject to changes in spite of the changes in the body. It is neither a doer nor an enjoyer. Hence, neither is Arjuna a slayer nor is Bhishma slain. So, why should he resist to fight? Even if the Atma is impermanent, Arjuna should not lament. Whatever appears will have to disappear and whatever disappears will appear. Hence, one should learn to accept the change. In fact, change is the beauty of creation. It looks ugly when our outlook is partial or selfish. Hence, why should Arjuna grieve for the physical separation of Bhishma and others, which is inevitable in life? From the standpoint of a Kshatriya's duty, Dharmika Drishti, Arjuna can fight if it is necessary to establish order. A Kshatriya must look at the problem not from a personal standpoint, but from social standpoint. Hence, why should Arjuna hesitate to fight for a righteous cause? A righteous war 
is a door to heaven for a Kshatriya. If Arjuna avoids war, not only he be shirking his responsibility and losing heaven, but he will positively incur sin. For avoiding sin, at least, Arjuna should fight. Looking at the situation from a worldly angle, Laukika Drishti, Arjuna should not withdraw from the war. He will be called a coward by everyone, including the future generation. Shouldn't Arjuna fight to protect his reputation? With these arguments, Lord persuades Arjuna to fight and concludes the first part of his teaching. He calls this Sankhya Yoga. In fact, the first argument which deals with the nature of the Atma and the body, Atma and Atma Viveka, alone is known as Sankhya Yoga. Hereafter, the Lord enters into Buddhi Yoga or Karma Yoga. Though Sankhya Yoga is a true solution for sorrow, many are not fit to gain it because of the false idea, moha, that worldly pursuits can solve the problem. So initially, one has to be allowed to pursue worldly ends. By this, one should discover for oneself that actions and their results cannot give permanent satisfaction. This is dispassion. A dispassionate mind can pursue Sankhya Yoga. Thus, Karma Yoga is introduced as a means to come to Sankhya Yoga. First, the Lord describes the glory of Karma Yoga. Then comes the principle of Karma Yoga. One can choose one's action, but never the result. The result is dependent on the laws of action. There are other factors in the world, known and unknown, that may bring a totally unexpected result. One cannot avoid that. Yet, inaction will not be a solution. No one can completely know the laws of action. Hence, actions are often imperfect in spite of the effort. So, one should ever be ready for any result. One can hope for the best, but should be prepared for the worst. When one acts with the above understanding, success and failure lose their capacity to shake him. One does not react because he is not caught unaware. Thus, this equanimity is action in yoga. Thus, one can convert the binding karma into a valid teacher. This is skill in action. A tranquil mind will soon shed its false value attributed to the world and turns towards the Atma. When, the, when through self-knowledge one gets established in the peaceful Atma, he attains liberation. Now, Arjuna becomes curious to know the characteristics of a person who is firmly established in self-knowledge, sthita prajna. Krishna answers Arjuna's question and gives the meaning of stabilizing the knowledge. Knowledge cannot be fruitful unless it is stabilized and assimilated. For this, Krishna talks about two important sadhanas. They are the control of the mind and the sense organs and contemplation upon the divine teaching. By this, the knowledge sets in. On the other hand, if these are not practiced, the mind and the sense organs will drag a person to the field of sense objects and gradually pull him down spiritually. Talking about the characteristics of a wise man, the Lord points out that the man of self-knowledge is always satisfied with himself and consequently he is free from all desires. He is independent of the world to be happy. Naturally, he is free from attachment, hatred, desire, anger, fear, elation, depression, etc. Though living in the same world, he enjoys a freedom and contentment which is unknown to others. Thus, if the ignorant man can be said to be in darkness with regards to the Atma, the wise man is in broad daylight of the Atma. The best comparison for the wise man's mind is the ocean. The ocean is independently full and is unaffected by the rivers. 
entering or not entering, dirty or clean. Similarly, the wise man's mind is independently full. It is undisturbed by the favorable and unfavorable experiences, entering or not entering his mind. Krishna concludes this topic by glorifying this state as the Brahmi state, reaching which one does not get deluded again. He lives life as a Jeevan Mukta, liberated while living, even at the far end of this journey. After death, he becomes one with Brahman, Nirvanam, which is called Videha Mukti. Since Sankhya Yoga is the main topic, this chapter is aptly called Sankhya Yoga. Thus, the second chapter discusses the following four topics mainly. Arjuna Sharanagati, Shlokas 1 to 10. Sankhya Yoga, Shlokas 11 to 38. Karma Yoga, Shlokas 39 to 53. Stita Upaya and Stita Pragya Lakshana, 54 to 72. Aryom Tatsat. Om Sri Guru Bhyo Namaha Harihi Om Srimad Bhagavad Gita Tatparyam A chapter-wise summary of the Divine Song by Swami Paramarthananda Saraswati. Chapter 3, Karma Yoga. In the second chapter, the Lord praised self-knowledge right from the beginning and criticized the Karmakanda of the Vedas. Thereafter, he asked Arjuna to take to karma. This creates a serious doubt in Arjuna, and the third chapter begins with this doubt. Arjuna asks, O Lord, you seem to confuse me by contradictory statements. Tell me one, knowledge or karma, which will lead me to moksha. Bhagavan answers that there are two lifestyles, called Karma Yoga Nishtha, social life, and Jnana Yoga Nishtha, secluded life. One can choose any one of them as a householder or as a monk. But there is no choice between karma and knowledge. Whatever lifestyle one chooses, one has to follow relevant karma for purity and then pursue knowledge to discover the freedom that is one's true nature. Of these two lifestyles, Krishna gives preference to social life throughout the Gita. In the Upanishads, we find the latter emphasized. Choice depends on the maturity of the seeker. From the fourth to the seventh verse, Krishna condemns inaction and praises an alert and active life. Inaction should be avoided because Neither purity nor knowledge can be achieved by that. Desires force one to act and inaction will be a suppression. A mind without occupation will be idle. It will brood over sense pleasures. Such a hypocritical mind will soon fail. From the 8th to the 20th verse, Bhagavan deals with one of the most beautiful and important topics of the Gita, that is Karma Yoga. Having created the world and the intelligent human beings, the Lord himself advocated in the Vedas, the way of life, which is Karma Yoga. By following this, material and spiritual progress can be attained. Since it is the teaching of the Lord, the master of the universe, Swami, human being has to take it as a command, Niyatam, and obeyed as a servant, Pratya, of the Lord. When we follow the teachings of the Lord, it becomes a gesture of our appreciation for all the gifts and blessings that the Lord has bestowed upon us. Thus, our work becomes a worship or loving offering, a yajna, to the Lord. It purifies the mind also. Lastly, Karma Yoga is necessary to maintain the harmony of the universe upon which we are dependent. The working of the universe is a cyclic process. With the human beings as its important link, one must be aware 
of one's responsibility, duty. Thus, karma yoga is only the duty, karyam, of a responsible citizen of the world. One who does not discharge it proves himself or herself to be an immature human being. Thus, karma yoga is to be pursued because 1. It contributes to material and spiritual progress, yoga. 2. It is the commandment, niyatam, of the master of the universe. 3. It is a grateful offering, yajna, to the Lord, acknowledging his gifts. 4. It is the only way of maintaining the harmony, dharma. In this chapter, Bhagavan Krishna does not talk about kamya karma, those actions to fulfill the desires. This shows that true karma yoga does not involve kamya karma. Hence, a seeker must gradually reduce kamya karma or actions for selfish desires, even to become a true karma yogi. Karma yoga ultimately leads one to liberation through the stages of 1. Purity, Shuddhi, 2. Enquiry, Vichara, and 3. Knowledge, Jnana. Krishna concludes the topic by citing the example of King Janaka, who successfully pursued knowledge while remaining in Karma Yoga Nishtha, social life. From the 20th to the 29th verse, the Lord talks about the role of a wise man in the society, taking Arjuna as one. Any person with a higher status or knowledge, Sreshta, can influence others positively or negatively. Hence, even though Arjuna might not benefit from this war, he has to fight as Kshatriya's duty and set an example to others. Else, he will be responsible for anarchy in his own time as well as in the future. Thus, both the wise and the ignorant should act, the former for teaching others and the latter for purity of their mind. The only difference is that the former will be detached while the latter won't be. The 30th verse summarizes Karma Yoga, giving five conditions. 1. Keep the spiritual goal. 2. Offer all actions to the Lord. 3. Don't be concerned about the result. 4. Be free from possessiveness. And 5. Be calm. One who follows Karma Yoga reaches the goal of life and the other is lost. Likes and dislikes, Raga Dvesha, born of habits, Vasanas, pull a person astray. Still, a person should not go by what he likes to do, but what he has to do, duty, even if it involves difficulties. As an answer to Arjuna's question as to why does a man commit a sin even knowing if it is a sin, Krishna elaborately discusses the problem of Kama Krodha and Raga Dvesha. They are the real enemies of a seeker. Clouding the knowledge, they force a person to run after endless insatiable desires and take away all the chances of peace and progress. The senses, the mind and the intellect are the base of desires. They have to be taken care of. Durvasanas should be replaced by Shubhavasanas by practice. False values should be replaced by right ones through discrimination. Once karma, selfish desires, becomes weak, one can discover the Atma, which is beyond the senses, the mind and the intellect, and thus destroy karma, selfish desires for good. Since Karma Yoga is the main topic, this chapter is called Karma Yoga. Thus, the third chapter discusses the following topics mainly. 1. Introduction, Shlokas 1-7. to 2. Karma Yoga, 
shlokas 8 to 23. The role of a wise person, shlokas 20 to 29. 4. Summary, shlokas 30 to 35. 5. The problem of desire and its solution, shlokas 36 to 43. Hariyom Tatsat. Om Sri Guru Bhyo Namaha Harihi Om Srimad Bhagavad Gita Tatparvyam A chapter-wise summary of the Divine Song by Swami Paramarthananda Saraswati Chapter 4 Jnana Karma Sanyasa Yogaha Lord Krishna dealt with Karma Yoga and Sankhya Yoga in the third and second chapters respectively. These two yogas are not newly introduced by Krishna. It has been initiated by the Lord in the beginning of the creation itself through the Karmakanda and Gnanakanda of the Vedas. Thus, this is an ancient wisdom which has stood the test of time. Krishna begins the fourth chapter by referring to the above aspect so that Arjuna will have reverence for Gita. The Lord points out that he initiated the lineage of Vivaswan, Lord's son, Manu, Kikshvaku, and others in the beginning of the creation through the Vedas. It is the same ancient wisdom which is being revived by Lord Krishna through Arjuna in the form of the Gita because it had declined by that time. Now, Arjuna wonders how Krishna, who is his contemporary, can be the initiator of the ancient Vedic wisdom. As an answer to this question, Krishna introduces the topic of avatara. We are born because of our own karma, yashti karma, individual karma, as well as the total karma of the world, samashti karma. In the case of the Lord, his own karma is not there. Thus, the karma of the world becomes the cause for the birth of the Lord. The evil actions of the wicked and the noble worship of the saints necessitates the manifestation, avatara, of the Lord to punish the former and bless the latter. Thus, the Lord establishes dharma in the universe. But since this birth is only through maya, it is apparent. Hence, it does not affect the true birthless nature of the Lord. Moreover, since maya is under the control of the Lord, his omniscience, omnipotence, etc. are not veiled. He remembers all the past as well as his true nature. It is from this standpoint that Krishna says, I initiated the Vedic tradition. From the ninth to the 15th verse, the Lord talks about his true nature and its knowledge. Though the Lord seems to be active, he is free from all activities and their results. He is Akartha and Abhokta. One who recognizes this nature of the Lord also becomes liberated, that is, becomes free from actions and their results. This shows that the true nature of the Lord and Jiva is one and the same. But being interested in the pursuit of various types of means and ends, one does not turn to this liberating knowledge. Still, some people manage to become one with the Lord by freeing the mind from attachment, hatred and fear, by surrendering to the Lord and by finally gaining self-knowledge. Lord gives whatever the devotee asks. From the 16th to the 25th verse, Krishna gives the knowledge of the nature of action and inaction and the characteristics of the person of such a knowledge. Having talked about the rareness of such a knowledge, the Lord defines a wise man as one who sees actionlessness of the self amidst the activities of the body, as well as the potential action in the seemingly inactive body. The idea is that the wise man accepts activities at the level of the body because no one can expect relaxation at the body level. The very process of life is the continuous function of the body. One should only discover inner relaxation even amidst the activities 
by recognizing the true I as the actionless self. Therefore, true and complete renunciation is possible only through knowledge. In fact, the wise man never sees anything other than Brahman, that being the th truth of all. Whether his body is active or not, he is not affected. He is self-sufficient, contented, independent, equanimous, and free from fancies, desires, expectations, attachments, and jealousy. His actions are meant for the worship of the Lord, which uplifts the humanity. From the 25th to the 34th verse, the Lord talks about the superiority of knowledge over all other sadhanas, spiritual practices, and the way of getting that knowledge. Various spiritual practices are compared to yajna, the sacrifice. They are Brahmagnana yajna, deva yajna, vishaya bhoga yajna, dhamma yajna, shama yajna, pranayama yajna, and aharaniyama yajna. All sadhanas lead one to liberation by preparing the mind. But being the direct means to liberation, Brahmagnana yajna is superior to all. To get this knowledge, one should approach a guru who is established in the truth, Tattvadarshi, and who has the necessary language to communicate it, Jnani. Such a teacher must be approached with humility, faith, and reverence and asked for this knowledge. Instructed by, by them, through the scriptures, one gains knowledge, not otherwise. From the 35th to the 37th verse, Krishna talks about the benefit of this knowledge. Gaining the knowledge, one will not get into delusion once again. For he sees everything in the Lord as well as in him. That is, he recognizes his identity with the Lord. By this boat of knowledge, one crosses the ocean of sin, however vast it may be. Like a blazing fire, this knowledge reduces to ashes. It renders inoperative all the karmas. Hence, knowledge is the greatest purifier. All other sadhanas, spiritual practices, can produce punya, which itself is a bondage. Moreover, no other sadhana can destroy ignorance, which is the root cause of all sins. That seeker who has purified the mind will soon attain knowledge by the teaching of a guru. In the concluding verses, Bhagavan talks about the qualifications and disqualifications with regards to self-knowledge. One who has faith in the guru and the shastra, sense control and a sincere desire for knowledge will gain the knowledge. On the other hand, one who is ignorant, faithless and doubting is doomed. He cannot enjoy anything in the here or in the hereafter. Therefore, Arjuna, eliminate all doubts regarding the validity of these spiritual pursuits and resort to Karma Yoga, advises Lord Krishna. Since the renunciation of all activities through the knowledge of the actionless I amidst the activities of the body is the main topic here. This chapter is called Jnana Karma Sanyasa Yoga. The topics of this chapter are 1. Gita Stuti and Avatara, Shlokas 1 to 8. 2. Knowledge of Avatara and its result, Shlokas 9 to 15. 3. The wisdom of seeing action in inaction and inaction in action. The characteristics of the vice. Shlokas 16 to 24. The glory and the means. Shlokas 25 to 34. Benefit of knowledge. Shlokas 35 to 37. Qualifications and disqualifications. Shlokas 38 to 42. Hari Om Tatsata. Om Sri Guru Bhyo Namaha Harihi Om Srimad Bhagavad Gita Tatparyam, a chapter wise summary of the divine song 
by Swami Paramarthananda Saraswati. Chapter 5, Sanyasa Yoga. In the fourth chapter, Lord Krishna talked about knowledge and renunciation. He referred to the wise man as one whose karmas are burned by the fire of knowledge. He glorified the wise man as one who is free from possessions, whose only activity is the maintenance of the body, and who is happy with anything that comes due to prarabdha karma. Evidently, these are the signs of a monk. At the same time, Krishna concludes the chapter by advising Arjuna to take to action. Naturally, Arjuna is not able to reconcile Krishna's various statements. In fact, secluded life and active life are only two lifestyles. The first is called Ashrama Sanyasa, Sankhya in this chapter, and the latter is called Karma Yoga, Yoga in this chapter. In both the lifestyles, one is identified with the equipments, the mind and the body. He is a Karta and hence a Samsari. This shows that lifestyle itself cannot give liberation. When self-knowledge is gained, one discovers that he is akartha, abhokta, and hence asamsari. Thus, the renunciation of body identification is true sannyasa, which is called jnana karma sannyasa. This sannyasa can coexist with active life because it is a mental renunciation. But ashrama sannyasa cannot coexist with active life because it is physical renunciation. Krishna is advising Arjuna to remain in the society and attain the goal of Jnana Karma Sanyasa. But Arjuna mistakes the Sanyasa as Ashrama Sanyasa and sees contradiction in Krishna's teaching. So the beginning of the chapter comes up with Arjuna's doubt as to how a person can remain in duty and be free from actions at the same time. Krishna introduces the two lifestyles once again and says that either of the two lifestyles can help a person in getting moksha through knowledge. What is necessary in both lifestyles is a relative freedom from raga and dvesha, which is an important condition for self-knowledge. Of these two, Krishna recommends active life as ideal for a common man. As the Lord himself pointed, points out, a secluded life is difficult to pursue without maturity. In the next six verses, the Lord talks about karma yoga and the stages of progress. A karma yogi dedicates all his physical and mental actions to the Lord without concern for the result. Because of this attitude, he develops self-control and ultimately discovers his true nature, which is the same in all beings. Of course, this is complicated and is accomplished through the teachings of a guru alone. This is called Jnana Karma Sanyasa. In the following verses, Krishna discussed the characteristics of a wise man and his wisdom. Since he has discovered his identity with the true self, his nature is the same as that of the true self. In his presence, all the organs function. Neither does he act, nor does he instigate anyone. According to their nature, the organs act and reap results. He is beyond good and evil results. Still, because of ignorance, one is deluded. When self-ignorance is destroyed by self-knowledge, Brahman, which is the true nature, becomes evident. Being spontaneously established in Brahman through the pursuits of Shravanam, Mananam and Nididhyasanam, these wise men revel only in Brahman. Thus, freed from all impurities, they attain Videha Bhukti from where there is no return. They recognize the one homogeneous awareness existence which is behind all beings as their substratum. Thus, having discovered the identity with the defectless, ever unaffected Brahman, they overcome mortality here itself. Though Prarabdha brings 
favorable and unfavorable situations, those spontaneous, delusion-free wise men are neither elated nor depressed. Detached from the world and established in Brahman, they enjoy infinite ananda. In the next two verses, the qualifications of vairagyam is stressed. Unless a seeker gets detached from sensual pleasures, he cannot attain infinite ananda. A discriminative seeker who knows the impermanence of these contact-born pleasures will not indulge in them. And one who can restrain the impulse of karma, desire and krodha, anger, alone is the man of self-control, fit to enjoy life. Now, the Lord talks about videha mukti, jivan muktas who rebel in themselves, who are pure-minded, who love all beings and who have doubtless knowledge of the Atma, attain oneness with Brahman at the fall of the body. This is called videha mukti. Having clarified Arjuna's doubt, Krishna Grib gives a brief reference to meditation in the last three verses, which will be discussed elaborately in the next chapter. Though doubtless knowledge can be attained by Shravanam and Mananam, the habitual notion that I am the body does not allow the knowledge to manifest as joy. Hence, one has to assimilate this teaching by dwelling upon it, which is called Nididhyasana. Having removed all thoughts of sense objects, having withdrawn the sense organs, having regulated the breathing and freed from desire, fear and anger, one should meditate with a desire for moksha. Such a yogi, meditator, becomes liberated forever. Knowing the Lord, who is the receiver of all sacrifices, who is the supreme Lord of all worlds, and who is the friend of all beings, the wise man attains peace. Since the main topic is sannyasa, renunciation, in this chapter, it is called sannyasa yoga. The topics of this chapter are 1. The two lifestyles, sankhya and yoga, shlokas 1-6. to six. 2. Karma yoga and its phalam, shlokas 7-12. to 12. 3. Jnana karma sannyasa, shlokas 13-21. to 21. 4. Vairagyan, detachment, shlokas 22 to 23. 5. Videha Mukti, shlokas 24 to 26. 6. Instruction on meditation, shlokas 27 to 29. Hari Om Tat Om Sri Guru Bhyo Namaha, Hari Om. Srimad Bhagavad Gita Tatparyam, a chapter by summary of the Divine Song by Swami Paramarthananda Saraswati. Chapter 6 Dhyana Yoga Lord Krishna introduced the topic of meditation towards the end of the last chapter. Being an important topic, Krishna spends almost the whole of this chapter dealing with meditation. Here, meditation is upon the Lord as the very self. Atma of the meditator. This is meant to assimilate the self-knowledge gained from the Guru's teaching. The conditioning that I am the body will go only with the assimilation of self-knowledge. Assimilated self-knowledge alone can express as Ananda. Krishna talks about five important topics on meditation. They are 1. Bahiranga Sadhana those disciplines to be followed throughout daily life which influence one's meditation. 2. Antaranga Sadhana those disciplines to be followed immediately before meditation. 3. Dhyana Sarupa nature of meditation. 4. Dhyana Phala result of meditation. 5. Dhyana Pratibandha Pariharao obstacles and remedy. Bahiranga Sadhana At the outset, the Lord indicates the role of Karma Yoga in meditation by praising the Karma Yogi. Karma Yoga, being a conscious way of life, helps one in getting self-control. 
it converts an extrovert mind into a contemplative mind. Once this is achieved, one should try to lead a quieter life because active life becomes an obstacle to meditation. Total detachment is the characteristic of a contemplative mind. Incidentally, Krishna highlights two important values, that is self-confidence and self-control. One who lacks these two finds himself to be an obstacle for any pursuit. On the other hand, one who enjoys the about two virtues finds himself to be supporting force in every field. Soon, he is established in the vision of the Atma, the vision of equality. Krishna mentions a few other disciplines also, like moderation in eating, sleeping, working and resting. Antaranga Sadhana The meditator has to choose a secluded, undisturbed place for meditation. In that spiritually and physically pure place, he has to fix the seat, which is neither too high nor too low, neither too soft nor too hard. Holding the body, neck and head erect, he has to fix the sight on the tip of his nose, as it were. That is, the eyes are half closed. Next, the meditator should withdraw the mind and sense organs from all other activities. The breathing should also be maintained even. With a calm, withdrawn, undisturbed, tension-free and one-pointed mind, the meditator should meditate upon the Lord, the Atma, Dhyana Swarupam and Palam. Meditation is nothing but abidance of the withdrawn mind in the Atma. Having given up all desires and having restrained the senses through the mind, one should gradually bring back the mind with the help of the discriminative intellect step by step. Once the mind is made to abide in the Atma, there should be no other thought. Though the mind may get distracted, one has to bring it back from the respective fields to one's own Atma. All this presupposes a clear understanding of Vedanta. Everything, including thoughts, is an object of the Atma, the awareness. The Atma is not an object for me to be thought of or to be experienced. It is the very I. Thus, to knock off all expectations and struggles and to abide as the Atma with the knowledge that I am the Atma is true meditation. Thus, constantly abiding in the Atma, the meditator comes to enjoy permanent peace which culminates in the attainment of liberation, videha mukti. He enjoys an ever-abiding mind which is completely satisfied with the discovery of the Atma since his ananda is not sensual, it transcends all the limits. Having discovered this inner fullness, he never loses sight of his true nature. Neither does he consider any other gain to be superior, nor is he shaken by even the greatest loss. This infinite ananda will never be lost because this was never gained. It was veiled by the false notion that I am sorrowful. Once this is removed, the inner ananda becomes evident. Thus, this is more a dis disassociation from sorrow rather than association. This alone is known as Jivan Mukti. Seeing the Atma in all beings and all beings in the Atma, he gets established in the vision of equality. This vision of the Atma alone is the vision of the Lord because the Atma is not different from the Lord. Thus, the meditator is ever established in the Lord despite, in spite of his activities. Being established in the Atma, he looks at all bodies, including his own body, with the same attitude of detachment. Hence, he is free from selfishness and is spontaneously established in Dharma. He is a saint. Dhyana Pratibandha Pariharao. Now, Arjuna puts a question regarding an obstacle to meditation. It is the problem of mental restlessness or extrovertedness. Because of this, one finds it difficult to meditate and assimilate the self-knowledge. 
This frustrates Arjuna's mind and he asks for a solution. Krishna gives two methods to solve this problem. They are detachment and practice. When the mind is extrovert because of desires, one has to remove it by seeing the futility of desires and their fulfillment. This is called detachment. Even a detached mind can be restless because of the past habits. This has to be gradually removed by consistent practice alone. Thus, mental discipline requires determination and patience. Still, Arjuna feels diffident and he somehow thinks that liberation is not possible in one's life. He desperately asks of Krishna, what happens to that seeker who has fallen from meditation? Does he not perish like a scattered cloud? Arjuna feels that the meditator has no punya because he has not done any karma. He has failed to achieve liberation also. Thus being deceived of punya and moksha, he must face an unfortunate future according to Arjuna. Not being able to accept this, Arjuna surrenders to Krishna seeking clarification. Krishna consoles Arjuna by asserting that the spiritual speak seeker can never have a bad lot. The very meditation is a punya karma capable of giving heaven and later an ideal birth for the continuation of the spiritual pursuit. The yoga prashta, that is, the one who has fallen from the path of spirituality, is reborn in a cultured, prosperous family or maybe even in the family of a saint. Having got such a birth, he gets associated with the previous wisdom at a very early age, irresistibly drawn by the past habits, samskaras. He finds his spiritual urge suddenly growing from a small flame to a huge conflagration, committing his entire life to the spiritual pursuit and supported by the samskaras of all the previous lives. He effortlessly fulfills his mission in life. Krishna concludes this chapter by praising the meditator in general and praising the meditator of Krishna, Paramata, Paramatma, Brahmatman in particular. Since the main topic here is meditation, the chapter is called Dhyana Yoga or Atma Samyama Yoga, Mastery of the Mind. Thus, the sixth chapter discusses the following topics. One, Bahiranga Sadhana, Shlokas 1 to 9. 16 and 17. 2. Antaranga Sadhana, Shlokas 10 to 15. 3. Dhyana Swarupam and Dhyana Phalam, Shlokas 18 to 32. 4. Dhyana Pratibandha and Parihara, Shlokas 33 to 36. Yoga Brashta, Shlokas 37 to 45. 6. Yogi Stuti, Praise of the Yogi, Shlokas 46 47. Hari Om Tat Sat.